That was a blessing. I can't see their faces, though. Were they smiling or no? We've got to work on the smiling part, then. I'll tell you what. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thanks for that song. Appreciate that tonight. Grab your Bible. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start there this evening. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Sorry, I'm looking for my different kinds of glasses up here. <coughs> you know, some glasses just make you look old. I'm looking for a pair of glasses that make me look young. <laughs> I haven't found one yet. But anyway, they put all kinds of readers up here uh, for me to be able to read. So this one, this one doesn't look quite as bad, I don't think. It look better? How's that? It look better? So... My dad's era, every time I re- when I see these glasses up there, remember my dad's era, they had the black all the way around it, but really, really thick. Uh, I guess it's coming back. Is that what it is? My dad used to wear kind of like glasses like that. So when I, I see these, I think of old. Anyway, so anyway, we won't try those tonight. Second Corinthians chapter number five tonight. I want to just uh, share a thought from this chapter uh, tonight. I think it'll be a blessing to you uh, this evening. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll, we'll talk about the word. <coughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for letting us be in church tonight. Lord, you again bless your people. Lord, strengthen us uh, through your word. Build us up in our faith and uh, draw us closer to you. If there's someone not for sure of heaven tonight, Lord, may they uh, come to you. And Lord, thank you again for your son Jesus who died for us. Father, again, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I was preparing a message for Mrs. Jump's funeral. And actually, I gave it from this, uh, these first few verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But when I was studying for that, um, the Lord uh, just brought back to my mind uh, about the thought we're going to look at tonight. And uh, so let me, if you don't mind, let me read the first few verses, which really builds up to what we're going to look at tonight. But in verse number one, the Bible says, For we know that if our earthly house, that's the body you're living in, for we know that if our <coughs> earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, means to die, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, aren't you glad that when you're saved, this body, the shell gets put into the grave, but we're going to get a new body. Amen. And that's what the Bible calls a heavenly body, which is going to be eternal in the heavens. Verse 2. For in this body, or for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, this body, do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. That mortality might be swallowed up of life. All right. And again, we're living a mortal life. But once, if you're saved, the Bible says that we're going to live eternally. We'll have an immortal body. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more temptation. The Bible says that we're going to have a new body. He goes on to say in verse number five, Now he that hath wrought us, which is, of course, God. Now he that hath wrought us <clears throat> for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. In other words, <clears throat> the reason we know we're going to get a new body is because in this body, if you're saved, you've been given the Spirit of God. Which is the earnest, like a person would buy a house, they put down earnest money, it's the down payment. Uh, We know that we're going to be in heaven forever because of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. Verse number six, therefore we are always confident now knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, I know sometimes people don't always agree with that. But if you're saved and you know how this thing ends, we'd rather be with God than here. <clears throat> we have relationships of people that we love, 
but we know that we're going to be eternally with the Lord. <clears throat> and so Paul here is writing the church of Corinth, and he says, hey, we would rather be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. Now, I want, you, I want you to notice the next three words in verse number nine. After Paul gets done speaking about how frail this body is, we groan in this body, we have trouble in this body, <clears throat> he says, boy, we'd rather be absent from this body. He says now in verse number nine, he says, wherefore we labor. All right, now that word wherefore means why. Uh, actually, the definition is actually for, it means this. It says, for which cause? Now, church, I mean, I, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and obviously this entire letter that he's writing, <clears throat> he's really, he, he covers a lot of things, but he's talking about live the Christian life, serve the Lord, give your life for God. And uh, that's what we do as Christians. We, we labor for the Lord. Uh, this, you know, we talk about Sunday being a day of rest, but for a lot of people today, it was not a day of rest. It was a day of work. They got up early this morning and they got on a bus. They took those buses to bring, up, bring children to Sunday school. Uh, Sunday school teacher today got up early to make sure they're prepared for their class, whether it was the lesson or the class itself. <clears throat> there was work involved. We, <clears throat> we labor because that's what we're supposed to do. But Paul gets real specific on why we labor. And I want to deal with just four things tonight that Paul really deals heavily with in the rest of this chapter on why, on why we labor. And we, we sing songs like Work for the Night is Coming. And then yet, at the same token, we think, man, life, how long is this going to last? And it's because we groan in this body. Church, I mean, uh, buildings are built because people work at building buildings. And again, that's just a small portion of what our Christian labor is about. Because uh, buildings don't save people. God saves people. But buildings are used for that, to bring people to Jesus Christ. And so is the bus ministry. And so is the nursing home. And so is the prison uh, ministries and things of that sort. But it takes, it takes work. It takes labor to this morning, believe it or not, during the morning, during the service this morning, uh, even tonight, just a little bit. It's not because you don't want to be here. It's just that your body groans. It's like, oh, church again tonight, man, I'd rather, I'd rather be at home relaxing or cuddled up in a, with a warm blanket and, uh, tonight. All right. Get rid of those thoughts. You're in church. Amen. <laughs> and uh, can I just tell you that our, it's because our bodies, they, we get tired of of the work. In church family, the, uh, the Hebrew says it so cl clearly, this is not our rest. And it is, and it is work. And many of you are, you, you're working a secular job to provide for your family. And then you're working for God to do what you should be spiritually. And that's getting the gospel to the lost and dying world. Amen. Telling people the good news of Jesus Christ, that he's the only way to heaven. And, right. and, and, and it, sometimes it gets weary doing those things. It gets weary because of the body that we have. And so Paul's writing to the, to the church of Corinth. And he says, now listen, I know that you're weary with the body, with what goes on with groaning of being tired and of trying to keep up with the things that the work of the Lord puts upon us. But he says, I want to tell you why you do what you do. So he says here in these three, verse, or in these three words, in verse number nine, he says, wherefore we labor. Now, to some of you tonight, this is going to be elementary or I've heard that before but I really want you to follow along tonight because the remaining of the chapter Paul mentions some things and I want to group some things together tonight of what Paul's really trying to teach us on why we do what we do church family I want to tell you we wouldn't be in church tonight except that we got a book in our hand that says we should go to church you wouldn't get up tomorrow morning to have your devotions except if it wouldn't for a book that you hold in your hand that says God wants to have a relationship with you and how do you do that it's through prayer and scripture in other words, our life is based upon the word of God. It's not based upon a bunch of rules that the church tells us what we're supposed to do. 
Are, are y'all with me tonight? So what happens is, is we get weary. And if you're not careful, you start blaming your parents because they make you. Or you start blaming the church because the pastor says to. And you have forgotten that you hold a book in your hand that tells us how we're supposed to live our Christian life. But it doesn't take away the fact that as we live the Christian life, it gets tiring. It, it gets burdensome. And so Paul says, I want to remind you why, wherefore, why you labor. All right, let's quickly look at these together tonight, what Paul says in the, in the book of 2 Corinthians here. First one is in the verse number nine, same verse. He says, wherefore we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be, what's the last three words of verse number nine? Who's the him, church family? It's talking about God. The him is God, accepted of him is talking about being accepted of God. You say, well, I thought I was saved. I thought I was already accepted. That's true, but this word accepted is not that kind of accepted. This word accepted means to be well-pleasing unto. So in other words, <clears throat> why do we labor? Why do we serve God? Why did you get up tomorrow morning and have your devotions? Why do you carry gospel tracts on you? <clears throat> and whether it's a Christmas time or not, you say Merry Christmas and you give somebody a gospel track, or you give them a track and you say, listen, would you read this? It tells you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Why, why do we do that? Why, why do we labor? Why do we spend time training our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? I want to just tell you why you do it. It's to be accepted of him. It's to be pleasing. <clears throat> excuse me. It's to be pleasing in his sight. Church, I mean, is that not what we live our life for? Hey, have we figured out a long time ago, this is the Sunday night crowd. I'm not getting to heaven because I came to church. I get to heaven because Jesus Christ paid for my sin. We got this thing figured out a long time ago. I don't do things to get to heaven because it was all done on the cross of Calvary. I do things because I'm on my way to heaven. The whole purpose of Christianity is I live my life not so I can get to heaven. That's taken care of. I live my life according to Christ, Christianity, however you want to call it, because I want to please him. I want to do what he wants me to do. That's why I do what I do. I don't. How many times you meet somebody or you knock on somebody's door? Hi, my name's Scott. This is John. We're from the Heritage Baptist Church. And I've had people do this before. They'll stop me and say, I know why you're here. I said, really? Tell me while I'm here. <clears throat> this is what you do in order to get to heaven. I've had people tell me that before. We don't tell people about Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we don't live a certain type of life so we can get to heaven. Otherwise, that means it's works for salvation. And it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to his mercy he saved us. So why do we live the kind of life we're doing? Hey, listen, you came out on a Sunday night, and be honest with you, I love you, but some of you look a little tired tonight. But why, do you, with the body groaning for more sleep, or the body groaning because you're ready for supper, or for whatever reason, that's your stomach growling. Whatever the reason is, can I tell you why you do that? Because you want to please him. That's what Apostle Paul said, wherefore we labor. And in verse number nine, to be accepted of him. One of my favorite verses is Galatians 1.10. Luke 1.37 is my favorite, but Galatians 1.10. And Paul said this, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. The goal is not for you to get a pat on the back by Pastor Hanks or another church member. The goal is that you get a pat on the back by the Lord Jesus Christ. That I might please him. So when you get up tomorrow morning... You, you need to get out of your mind, I'm doing this out of duty. I'm doing this because it pleases him. Amen. Our life is supposed to live, be lived that way. The Bible says the reason God created you and I in Revelation 4, verse number 11, <coughs> was to please him. Thou art worthy, Revelation 4, 11, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, now listen to why. And for th thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure 
They are and were created. In other words, he created you just to please him. And that's what God wants in our life. So why do we do what we do? I want to tell you why you labor. I want to tell you why you live the Christian life. I want to tell you why sometimes you're tired and, and, and your, your body says no and your spirit says yes. It's because you're doing it for a purpose. And I want to tell you what the purpose is to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Look what else he says. And again, I want to just show you these groupings real quickly tonight. The next one is in verses number 10 down to verse number 13. Paul says in verse 9, wherefore we labor. In, verse, in the verse number 9, it's because we want to be accepted of him. But verse number 10 says this, for we must all appear before what? Just, did you listen to the, what the kids just sang a few moments, the young people sang a few moments ago? <clears throat> the whole idea is that one day I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and the words that I want to hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Why do we labor? I want to tell you why we labor. Because we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. I want you to notice what he says about that also in verse number 10. For we must all, not some, for we must all appear. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or girl. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. We're all going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I want to tell you, if we're not careful, we will have the mentality, the judgment seat of Christ is not a big, big deal because it's just where the rewards are going to be passed out. But look how Paul describes this judgment seat of Christ in verse number 10 again. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, Verse number 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. Now let me just stop and say this. Don't you find it very interesting that God parallels the judgment seat of Christ in verse number 10 to knowing the terror of the Lord in verse number 11? <coughs> I don't think that the judgment seat of Christ, and remember we understand the difference between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. Judgment seat of Christ is for only those who are saved. The great white throne judgment are only for those who are lost. The judgment seat of Christ is not the judgment of our sin. Our sin was judged on the cross of Calvary when Jesus Christ died and God the Father turned his back upon the Lord Jesus Christ for those three hours. Our sin was judged at Calvary. Past, present, and future sin was judged at Calvary by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But the judgment seat of Christ so many times, and I have told you this and it's true, and it's where the rewards are going to be passed out. Where we're going to stand in the, the Bible says that it's going to be tried by fire. All right. I don't want to waste time tonight, but would you, I, want to, I want you to see the verse real quickly tonight. Turn over Corinthians again. Let's see if we get the, I think it's 1 Corinthians 3, if I remember correctly. Grab, that, grab your Bible and turn over there real quickly with me. 1 Corinthians number 3. Look at verse number 12. This gives the, I think one of the, again, there's a couple passages, but we'll just look at this one. But 1 Corinthians 3 describes what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like. Look at verse number 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, talking about building upon your life's foundation, gold, silver, precious stones. Those are the three good things because the fire doesn't destroy gold, silver, or precious stones. And then he says, wood, hay, and stubble. Fire will devour wood, hay, and stubble. Every man's, what's the word? Work. That's, in other words, it's the works that we do are either gold, silver, or precious stones, or the works that we do are wood, hay, and stubble. Shall be made manifest, verse 13, for the day, that day is the judgment seat of Christ, shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. I think that's the Lord Jesus Christ as far as his eyes of fire. And the fire shall try, Jesus will try, every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a what? Now, if, what happens if I don't get a reward? Verse 15, and if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. 
Now, church, I, I, again, I just want to make it really clear here that at the judgment seat of Christ, we are all going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Our works are going to be tried by fire. Some of it's going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. Some of it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. The wood, hay, and stubble is going to go poof. And then what's left over, which is hopefully the, our works of spirituality, that which is worth gold, silver, and precious stones, the Bible says that God is going to give us a reward for those things. I think the reward for that is how we're going to serve him during the millennium of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ, but also forever when we're with God. But what we don't parallel is back what we read a moment ago in 2 Corinthians 5, where God says, and knowing the terror of the Lord. Excuse me, you ever thought about this? You are going to stand before Jesus Christ by yourself, no parent, no spouse. You are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's not going to ask you what your husband allowed you to do. He's not going to ask you what your parents told you you could do. He's going to say, what did you do? And by the way, look, go back to 2 Corinthians 5. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade, I'm sorry, is that correct? Yeah, 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest. The word manifest means to make known unto God. And I trust also are made manifest means make known in your conscience. So what Paul was saying is this. Hey, listen, God already knows what my works are going to be, but so do you. Just hear me. You ought to be real. You ought to be real before God. You ought to be real before mankind. And what he's trying to say here is that when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, God's guest is going to reward us, but there is going to be a terror. That word terror means fear. A fear of God at the judgment seat of Christ for how we live our life. What, what does all this have to do with anything? It has to do with the context of what Paul's writing. Wherefore, we labor. Why do we labor? We labor because we want to please him. Why do we labor? Because we're all going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Look what Paul says next. Not only those two reasons, but look what he says next. Look at verse number, let's pick it up verse number 14. Chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Now I'm going to read, finish reading, but that's the thought there. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Why we labor? Because the love of Christ constrains us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all. Church family, who was the one that died for all? Then we're all, then we're all dead and that he died for all. That they which live, that means those who are saved, those who accepted Christ, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet, know not, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Here's what Paul's trying to say. So Paul, Paul, Paul says, quick, there's only four. I'm going to quickly, but I want you to think about this tonight. Paul says, okay, Corinthian church, I want to tell you why you're laboring. I know that your body groans. I know that you're tired. I know that you don't want to do it. Physically speaking, I don't want to. But spiritually speaking, I'm going to because there's a purpose for why I'm doing it. Why do I labor? I labor, number one, because I want to please him. He says, number two, he says the reason that we labor is, that, uh, is because I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Then number three, he says, the reason we labor is because the love of Christ constraineth us. I want to tell you what it didn't say. The love of Paul constrains me. He was not talking about our love to God. He was talking about God's love to us constrains me. In other words, it causes me. It forces me. Church, have you ever thought about that the reason you're saved because Christ loved you? 
For God so loved the So many times we think collectively instead of thinking individually. Just remember, he loved the world, yes, but the world is made up of people, and you're one of them. And I don't know where you were at or what happened in your life where you saw yourself as a sinner bound for hell, but the Holy Spirit of God pricked your heart, and you responded to that by acknowledging you as a, yourself as a sinner and acknowledging by faith that Jesus died for you, and you accepted him and asked him to be your personal Savior. Amen. You know how that happened? Because we love him because he... He first loved us. Why do you get up in the morning and have your devotions? Why do you go out and give the gospel to lost people? Why do you prepare for a class and try to teach a, a bunch of kids that come in on a bus? Why do you go to a nursing home or why do you go to the juvie detention center? I want to tell you why you do what you do. Because God loves you. He loves you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for what? To think that God would consider us his friend. Paul says the reason we do what we do is because the love of Christ constrains me. It causes me to want to labor for him because of his love to me. Hey, part of the problems in marriages is because either one or both of the spouses have forgotten how much the other one loves them. Can I tell you something, your relationship with God? If you're not careful, you forget how much he loves you. Just me, I can't even explain how much he loves us. I can't comprehend. I think the closest thing, if the Lord allows me, I'm going to preach in chapel on Tuesday with the kids. Um, I can't give you the title, but it's the obligation of a father. You know, one of the things about a family unit, and by the way, a normal family, like normal in God's sight, a normal family union is one man, one wife for life with children. That's the norm. It's, it's become very abnormal today. But the thing about a family unit is to teach a child by his earthly father, what a heavenly father really is. Yes. Amen. It's interesting how the Lord does that in a family unit. Is he's try, he, he teaches us how our relationship is with our earthly father. Just remember, why do we pray our heavenly father? Because we can relate to what an earthly father is. Yes. Now, follow this, my thinking on this, or logic if I can, and I know we're talking spiritually speaking tonight, but you know, you as a parent, you love your kids unconditionally because they're your kids. And I don't care what you say, if, if you're a parent tonight, you know what I mean. Your kids can do wrong, and I'm not telling, you don't approve of it, and I understand that, but your kids can do wrong and you still love them. Your kids can be mean to you and you still love them. I've been around some of our kids before that were disrespectful to their parents and I wasn't right there, but I close enough to hear what they were saying. And to be honest with you, I cringed. I thought, you know, and this is me thinking, I didn't, I didn't interrupt or say anything. 
But I just thought to myself, if you only knew, I was thinking about that kid, just does not know how much their parent loves them. And I think for us as Christians, I think sometimes we just forget. He loves me. Why? I want to tell you that that's, should be the thing that keeps you laboring. Amen. He loves me. Yeah. Quickly, I want to show you this last thing that Paul says. <clears throat> he says in verse number nine, wherefore we labor, in verse number nine, in verse number nine it says because we want to be accepted of him, we want to please him. In verse number 10 through 13, because of the judgment seat of Christ. In verse number 14 through 17, it's because the love of Christ constrains me. <clears throat> Look at verse number 18 now. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ <coughs> and hath given to us. Let's look at the first phrase real quick first. And all things are of God. I've got to back up because of context. Verse 17, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse 18, and all things are of God. So in other words, all the new things in verse 17 are of God. In other words, Remember, I don't want to get too deep tonight, but hopefully you caught that. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. I'm, now that I'm saved, I'm a new person. Old things are passed away. The old life, the way I used to live, I'm not supposed to live that way anymore. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. <coughs> Why are they become new? Verse 18, and all things are of God. All those new things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by what? All right, I'll be Jesus Christ. All right, let me try if. I'm going to try my best to explain this if I can uh, tonight. Make sure you guys can see over there. I'm not going to use a person tonight. I'm just going to use this chair if you don't mind as far as representing God. <coughs> I'm not going to use a person for Jesus Christ tonight either. But this is Jesus, okay? This is Jesus Christ right here, all right? Now, <coughs> this is very interesting to me what Paul just got done saying. Paul just got done telling the Corinthian church, he says, you were reconciled to God by who? By Jesus Christ, all right? Owen, why don't you help me for just a second here, if you don't mind? All right, so Owen here is lost, and he needs to be saved, all right? And I, I meet Owen. I said, hello, my Owen. My name is Scott Hanks. Nice to meet you. <clears throat> Owen, do you know for sure if you died today, you go to heaven? No. No? Can I take just a moment show you from the Bible how you can know for sure? And so he says, yes. I take a few minutes. <clears throat> I show him from the Bible. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means we're all sinners. That means I'm a sinner. Doesn't mean you are a sinner. Yes. Yes. You've, you've done some things wrong. It's a good thing you said yes. Your parents are right there. <clears throat> For all have sinned, you know, all come short of the glory of God. And so the Bible says that because of our sin, Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. That death is, of course, the second death. And because of our sin, if I got to pay for my own sin, the wages for my sin, I have to go to go to hell. You don't want to go to hell, do you? All right. That's where sinners go. But the rest of that verse says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. In other words, you can go to heaven if you accept that gift, which is through Jesus Christ. And it's just simply believing that Jesus Christ died for, your, died for you. And if you'll ask him to save you, he will. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin? Do you believe that he'll save you if you ask him? All right, I know that we're, I'm making this really brief tonight. But if he comes to the conclusion that he's a sinner, by faith he accepts Christ as his Savior. So we're pretending here. Are you saved, by the way? Have you trusted Christ? How long ago did you accept Christ? Uh, June 6th, uh, two years ago. Two years ago, June 6th. You accepted Christ? Were you at church or home? Where were you at? Uh, right on the front steps. You know exactly where he was, right on those front steps, all right? So you accepted Christ as your Savior. So when you did that, if you died 
today, where would you go? Heaven. All right. And who, take, who would take you to heaven? God. God would because you put your faith in who to get you there? Jesus. All right. Now, got all, now we got established that, that, that he got saved. All right. Now, here's what happened when he got saved. When he got saved, somebody introduced him to who? Jesus Christ, all right? So when he got saved, come over for a second here, Owen here could not get access to God because he's a sinner. It doesn't matter how bad of a sinner you are, if you've sinned, God can't have you in his presence. Now, I wanna read the phrase one more time before we illustrate, but look at your Bible one more time here. When he, talk, when he says that in verse number 18, he says this, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. All right, so here's what took place. God saw Owen, by the way, he saw all of us. He saw us as sinners and God could not take us like that because of sin, there had to be a payment. There had to be a, a, a punishment for sin. And that punishment was a place called hell. Death and hell were cast into like a fire. This is the second death. But God loves Owen for God so loved the world. And God didn't want Owen to go to hell just like he didn't want you to go to hell. So God sent his son Jesus down on the cross and the Bible says now in order for God to get Owen to him, he had to be reconciled through Jesus Christ. All right, put that on there like that. So now when God the Father sees Owen, he really sees Jesus. Where do you get that from? The previous verse, verse number seven. Therefore, if any man be in, in, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Amen. Then you get to verse number 18 and it says, hey, God did this because he was trying to get mankind to himself. And the only way he can get mankind to himself is that for them to come through Jesus. Amen. So when you pray and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible calls it a robe of righteousness. God the Father no longer sees you. He sees the righteousness of Christ instead, instead of the sinfulness of you and I. All right, now, now that we got that established, look at the rest of the verse, verse number 18. In verse number 18, why do we labor then? Verse number 18, I'll read again at the beginning of the verse, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us what? The ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of what? Reconciliation. All right, now, Trishimi, here's what I'm trying to get you to see. I want to tell you, this is the last thing. Why do we labor? Is because all of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What's the ministry of reconciliation? This is what the ministry of reconciliation is. Sorry, hold on, goodbye. Hang her back here. <clears throat> this is the ministry of reconciliation. Sorry about that, Lord. Let me get you back up here. All right. Okay. Stay. Thank you. All right. Hey, this is the ministry of reconciliation. Hello, my name's Scott. This is John. We're from the Heritage Baptist Church. Like to give you an invite. More important than going to church, knowing for sure you're going to heaven. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? I just so happen to have somebody to tell you about. 
Because you can't get to God without him. And because I'm saved, the reason I'm laboring is not to get myself to heaven. The reason I'm laboring because if I'm saved, I've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I can't reconcile you. Here, try my coat on. You know what? You know what God sees now? I hate to say it, a dirty, rotten sinner. You know why? Because we cannot get to God through our own acts of righteousness. The only way you're going to get to God is through Christ's righteousness. So God the Father looks now, and he doesn't see Owen, he sees Christ. And guess what? Once Owen gets saved, guess what? You're going to, the ministry of reconciliation, his sister needs saved. Come here, sister. You know for sure you're on your way to heaven? No, 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 you don't. I don't. Okay. Yeah, you're lost too. Amen. And we give the plan of salvation to them. We say, "Would you like to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior?" And guess what? She prays and accepts Christ as her Savior. And guess what? God the Father. Now she has access to God the Father, and she can finally get her prayers answered. Because until you get saved, you can't get your prayers answered. Fits you better than no one. Thank you very much. Maybe seated. I'm just trying to tell you, I know that the Heritage Baptist Church, why is there always something, why are we doing these stupid plays? I want to tell you why we do the plays, not for entertainment. You know what the plays are about? It's trying to get somebody just to come. I I was so thrilled yesterday when that guy come knocked on my window and said, hey, last year we came to your, I don't, I don't, didn't know the guy's name. Why can't we came last year because we got an invite, like to come again. All I'm trying to say is that every time you get on a bus, every time you come into a Sunday school class, every time you go to the juvie, every time you you knock on a door, every time you're doing some type of service for God, can I just remind you, it's because God gave you the ministry of reconciliation. (coughs) Hey, listen, I know all of your, your, your ministries of reconciliation are different, but God gives you an opportunity to witness to people in different ways. God's not going to have all of you go down to Massachusetts streets and street preach. God's not even going to have all of you even knock on a door on cold turkey on somebody's door and say, hey, listen, my name's Scott. This is John. Do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? That's not going to happen. But God has you come across people in your life for you to point them to Jesus Christ as part of the ministry of reconciling them to God. Hey, aren't you glad somebody helped reconcile you to God? It was a ministry. Look what he says this, and of course the word of that word of reconciliation is the word of God. Now look at verse number 20. Again, I think all this goes hand in hand. Now then, because I've been given the ministry of reconciliation, now then, because this is why we labor, we are, what's the next three words? Ambassadors for Christ. I like what he says next. As though God did beseech you by us. True family. Who is asking you to do the ministry of reconciliation? God. Now, the us was Apostle Paul. What Paul was trying to say is, God told me to tell you, you need to do the ministry of reconciliation. You need to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not the church or the pastor. This is what God wants you to do because you're saved. My Aunt Cindy uh, lives in Jackson, Tennessee. She sends out Christmas cards, too. And I know the younger generation, you know, everything's digital, you know. Shoot them a digital 
card, email, whatever now, but people still send Christmas cards. Sometimes you should show your kids what a Christmas card looks like. They probably wouldn't know. But my uh, Aunt Cindy sends them out, and it's funny to me because my Aunt Cindy buys Christmas tracks from our Mercy and Truth to put in all of her Christmas cards, and every year when I get my Christmas cards, she puts one of my gospel tracks in my Christmas card (laughs) to send to me. I've never said a word to her, so please don't tell her. But she puts a track in my Christmas card. And the track came from here. And I wrote the track. Now she's 70-some years old. I'm going to tell you why she does that. It's part of her ministry of reconciliation. I know some of you are thinking, and believe me, I, I hope that I would never come across as your pastor to pressure everybody to fit this particular mold because God made us different and our gifts are different. Amen. And you, some of you are just good as gold because of what you're doing. We're all not the same and our gifts are not the same. But I, I promise you this, our command is the same. Yes. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The command is the same. There are people who are dying without the Lord Jesus Christ and we got to do what we can to get them the gospel. Y'all are funny tonight because you're a little bit weary, not because of the service. It's just because you're maybe tired or maybe, maybe you're sick. Why'd you come to church if you're, no, 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 you're sick. <laughs> we sing work till Jesus comes and we will. And we say this is not our rest and it's not. Our rest is when the Lord takes us home either by death or by the rapture. But church family, it is tiring. And some of you, your Trojan, I should say your workhorse is not Trojan, but your workhorse is in the sense that you're up in years of your life and you've, you've served the Lord. You've been that person who ran a bus route, taught a Sunday school class for years and years and years or served in a church and you're getting to those upper years of life. End well. Remember, this is why we labor. I labor because I want to please him. Don't forget that. Remember why you labor because we're all standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Don't forget that. Remember why you labor. The love of Christ constrains me. I don't know why he loves me. Remember why you labor, because you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's why we labor. Church, I mean, it's not about activities and, you know, social gatherings, though I enjoy those. The bottom line is, is when this thing ends, there are going to be a group of people with Christ, and there's going to be a group of people with Satan forever. We need to tell as many people as we can while we've got a chance. Amen. Would you mind and close your eyes tonight? Take a moment of prayer. <coughs> why we labor. Paul was very plain with the Corinthian church why we labor, and it hasn't changed. The reasons are the same. Let's all stand tonight. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Our invitation is a time for us to do business with the Lord tonight. Obviously, if you're not for sure of heaven, would you take a moment, let someone take five minutes with the scriptures and show you how? If you're saved tonight, don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Got to keep going. Why we labor.